0: open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. This evening, uh, we are in one of the more unique chapters in the Bible. I said it last week, one of the most overlooked chapters in the Bible. If you missed last week, you missed basically what was a long introduction for tonight. Um, and uh, if we were able to be here for 75 minutes to, 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 to uh, 80 minutes, uh, maybe we could fit it all in. But uh, seriously, um, there are some texts and there are some Topics that come before us that require a lot of background information, uh, so that our hearts are properly postured and prepared to really dig into what God has to say to us. Uh, First Corinthians, as a whole, is really a book that we've done this a lot. If you've been here for some of these, you notice that sometimes we can barely get a few verses in, and the reason why is because uh, this book, really the nature of this text and the inspiration behind this text, um, it really requires that we kind of understand the context before we can kind of dig in, Uh, because maybe you didn't know this, but 1 Corinthians as a, as a letter is really a follow-up or a response to the Corinthian church. Now, most of the New Testament letters is Paul just saying, hey, heard about y'all. Um, I, I remember I visited y'all one time. Here's some things that I think y'all should know as a church. Here's some good news you should celebrate. Here's some truth you should uh, apply. Here's some things you should practice. Uh, you know, nine out of 10 of the letters that Paul wrote uh, are, hey, Nice to meet you. I'm Paul. God sent me to tell y'all about Jesus, about the church, and to build y'all up. But Corinthians, the, the, the church at Corinth, is a unique case uh, in that Paul spent 18 months building this church, planning this church, and then he left, uh, and then he continued to have correspondence with them as he was traveling and, and as he was, uh, in some cases, in prison, uh, he would correspond with the church. So the, the Corinthians, not only did Paul spend 18 months there, but we believe that he, they wrote to Paul or that they reached out to Paul and said, hey, Paul, we've got some stuff going on. And if y'all been here for all this chat, all this study, there's a lot of stuff going on at Corinth. Some immorality that was completely out of left field, uh, some division that was going on that was just really tearing the church up. Uh, so they, they had a lot of questions. You know, there was people in suing each other over over issues they should have handled, uh, you know, better as Christians. All kind of stuff going on. Remember the, the controversy over the Lord's Supper? Uh, people were, were turning the, you know, church into just a big party. Um, there was a whole lot of problems going on in Corinth, and really what was going on was uh, they were reaching out to Paul, saying Paul, or some of the leaders were reaching out to Paul, saying, could you help us? Could you clarify some of the things that you taught us back when you first came, and can you answer some questions we've got? So that's why when you read this book, um, he'll begin a chapter uh, in in a a manner of now pertaining this, or now speaking to this, or now about that. He's just going down a list. He was talking about the judgment seat of Christ. He was talking about immorality and and different sexual sins. We spent a whole three weeks on that. remember talking about the Lord's Supper, talking about spiritual gifts. So as he's going down the list, he's really responding to things they ask him about. Uh, so when, when we read 1 Corinthians, it's not really the first correspondence he's had with this church. He's been back and forth with these people for, for, for a long time. 1 Corinthians is just the the one of two inspired texts that not only is for them, but for every church. Uh, So thank God what Paul wrote to Corinth is still applicable and still true to churches like ours and and all around the world. So it may say 1 Corinthians, but but really this is the second or third correspondence back and forth between Paul and the church leaders. So many of the things he's addressing, while they might be new to us, uh, they're really things they already talked about and and really were familiar with. So sometimes he'll just breeze past something that we haven't ever heard about, but they had already talked about. And that's why we've spent several times, several messages, really just trying to unpack, hey, what is he talking about here? Why is he talking to them about this. We've never heard of these things, yet he's talking to them about it like it's something that they were well aware of, and that includes the spiritual gifts. Um, Back in chapter 12, he introduces to us the spiritual gifts, but they were already well aware of them. They were already, um, you know, practicing them. Some of them were being abused. Some of them were being misunderstood, which is what leads us to tonight. Um, So we recapped Uh, chapters 12, 13, 14, or 12 and 13 last week. Uh, If you didn't get to hear that, I do encourage you to go back and listen. If anything is confusing tonight, it should make more sense when you listen to it all together. Um, But basically, come chapter 14, Paul is going to narrow in on two of the gifts that he introduced us to back in chapter 12. And we touched on these last week, the gift of prophecy and the gift of Tongues. Now, uh, now let me say a word about both of these uh, for those that weren't here, and even if you were here last week and you might still be confused about these. um, I want to say a word because I think for a lot of us, for most of us, if you have been raised in or you have spent most of your life in churches similar to ours, uh, Baptist, evangelical background, um, if you're like me, if you grew up, in church like, in a church like mine, um, you probably never even heard the spiritual gifts talked about that much. Um, maybe, you know, once a year or once every couple years when the preacher would go through 1 Corinthians, uh, there would be some hand-waving about what these gifts are, what these gifts aren't, but hey, don't worry about it because we don't really talk about them and we don't really practice them, um, which is really unfortunate, and, and if maybe you didn't have that experience, and, and I'm glad if you didn't, but if you were like me, you, maybe you didn't really know what to do with these chapters because you just never were taught about them, um, and, and then as you got older, you tried to ha- you kind of had to figure it out on your own. But thankfully, the Spirit of God is there to help us, uh, and a lot of other smart people are there to help us. But um, growing up, um, maybe you were like me. I never really heard these gifts talked about. Uh, never really heard these gifts. Uh, definitely didn't didn't hear people talk about having these or practicing these gifts. Now, even though even though this first one um, was practiced all the time. And we were all benefactors of it all the time. Even some of us were gifted with it, yet we just didn't talk about it the way the Bible talks about it, and we just didn't know how to articulate it the way Paul is trying to help us. Understand it. So we talked about this back in chapter twelve. Uh, but you know, we all believe that God works miracles; that God still heals. Back in chapter twelve, when Paul's talking about the gift of healing, the gift of miracles, sometimes we don't know how to what to do with those. Those, you know, the, the chapter talking about people having the gift, and we get really confused and bogged down. You're talking about, you know, does somebody have the ability to heal somebody? Is it God working through them? Is it them praying a prayer and God answering that prayer? often we get bogged down in the semantics of it. But come on, all of us know God heals people. All of us know miracles happen every single day. So before you go and write off the rest of the gifts, don't underestimate what God might be doing and what God might have done in your life and around you just because you don't know how to put it in the words that maybe the Bible puts it in or maybe other people put it in. Um, So when it comes to the gift of prophecy... All of us have seen this gift exercise, I promise you, I guarantee you. All of you have seen this gift exercise. Some of you have been gifted with this, and maybe you didn't even know what was going on. So let me explain. Remember, if you were with us last week, the gift of prophecy is not talking about predicting the future. That's not what the word prophecy means or prophesy means. The gift of prophecy um, is about the work of God's Spirit and God's Word bringing insight through one person to another. So it's God speaking through me or God speaking through you, but it's always from one person to another. When we allow the Word of God to inform us and the Spirit of God to enlighten us, God is able to give us special insight that he brings out of us to the benefit of someone else. This gift is not about judging others or looking down our nose at others or or exposing others or humiliating others. This gift is about one Christian encouraging another Christian. One Christian speaking truth to another Christian as we walk alongside each other. And we talked about this. This gift is only really experienced in the local church. This is not someone standing on a street corner pointing their finger at you. This is not somebody walking up to you randomly in a, in a mall saying, hey, God told me to tell you this. This happens in His exercise in the local church as Christians walk alongside each other, as we do life with each other, as we study with each other, pray with each other, as we, uh, you know, grow with each other. This is the gift of God working through one person to another. You say, well, that's not fair that God might tell someone else something and that he wants to tell me, why won't he just tell me? And what did we say last week? Welcome to the church. Welcome to Christ's body. God wants us leaning on each other. God wants us dependent on one another. God wants us building up one another. Yeah, he could tell you without somebody else telling you, but he doesn't want to work that way because he wants you to to value the importance of the family that he's put you in. So when we allow the Spirit of God to work around us and He'll work through us, prophecy literally means, or to prophesy literally means to speak forth truth inspired by Scripture and the Spirit for someone's good, for someone's good. That's the emphasis, for somebody's good. Prophecy is all about speaking forth, speaking up, and speaking out whether to someone uh, that we we are close to, or someone that God is calling us to 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 step up to, uh, prophecy works on a personal level. From two believers who are praying for each other, supporting each other, uh, God equips people with the gift so that we might be uh, be be a vessel of encouragement, a vessel of inspiration to each other. Listen, God is still equipping people with this gift. You might not. You, have, you may have not understood it as prophesying or prophecy. Uh, you might use the word insight. You might use the word encourage. You might use the word inspire. But, but at the core of it is this gift of prophecy, this gift of to prophesy. Listen, I've seen it on display. I've, ex- I've benefited from it. I shared with you all a few weeks ago um, how God used several people in my home church to speak over my life about God's calling for my life. And you've probably seen it too listen, there's a difference between your mama or your grandmom or your grandparent, you know, saying, I hope you do this, or I hope you'll do this, and someone who, by the Spirit of God, walks up to you and says, hey, listen, I've been praying for you, and God showed me something. I need to share this with you. And and sometimes it's so eerie, it's so powerful when they speak into your life about something that you were so in need of or that you didn't even realize that you needed to hear. But when that happens and that experience takes place, uh, we realize how important it is that we walk alongside each other. I, I'm so glad and grateful that I was raised in a church and planted in a church because the, the, the prophecy cast over me, the vision cast over my life, I would have never had that planted in me had I not been placed around people, that godly people, that were allow, allowing God to use them and speak through them. And again, this might be new to you. This might be completely foreign to how you understand Christianity, but, but I still believe it happens, and maybe you didn't even realize it. Now, I, I think we all can agree it happens from pulpit to pew, as in God speaks through the preacher. Now, uh, I don't think it only happens this way, and if, if you only want to understand this gift as, hey, the preacher has something for me, that's fine, right? I'm not saying that's a bad way to understand it, but I don't think it stops there. Does that make sense? I don't think it's only from the preacher to you. I think it's from you to each other. I think that God can lay on you a a word to encourage someone else, the same that he does me to you, the same that he did your preacher growing up to you. As we pray for someone, that's really where it starts. When we become burdened for someone, maybe you've got someone that you really walk alongside or you really are, 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 are you know, kinship with and, and you're praying for them and you're praying for God to help you encourage them and help you speak into their life, right? And they're having a hard time figuring something out. But as you study the Bible and as you allow the spirit of God to speak to you, God shows you something that they just can't get for some reason. But God can use you in a prophetic way, in a powerful way, to speak to them. Now listen, um, this is not some random thing that happens. You know, maybe you grew up in church, or I hope this never happened to you, but I've heard stories about where, you know, people just, hey, the preacher's completely exposed somebody, humiliated somebody, just called somebody out because he probably knew what was going on, but he acted like he just found it out on the spot. Listen, this, that's not how this works. The, the gift of prophecy um, is, is personal, um, it's intentional, and it's edifying. Three things you need to realize: the gift of prophecy is personal, as in, hey, it's because I love you and I'm trying to help you. I'm want, I want to be there for you. I want to encourage you. It's intentional, as in, it's not just random. It's not just I come a trance comes over me and oh God showed me something. I got to tell you right now. No, it's personal. It's an in, it's intentional, and it builds people up. It's edifying. It's edifying. We might not call it prophecy. We might call it inside you might call it inspiration but but in the truest sense of the word it's what prophecy is now we're going to read through the scripture that we read last week to to give you the biblical evidence for this but one more one more thing then there's the gift of tongues which might be the greatest outlier in this text we talked about how there are two forms or variants of this gift there's the gift of tongues as we witness in acts where God translates the language of the, the apostles and he translates it into the ears of the hearer and the apostles who are all speaking their language, the people that are hearing them hear it in their own language. That is the gift of tongues on an evangelistic, in an evangelistic sense, but that's not the variant of the gift Paul is talking about in chapter 14. The gift of tongues as chapter 14 discusses it is the gift of unknown tongues. We understand what this gift is and what this gift isn't uh, based on how Paul introduces us to it and explains it. So I want you to look with me at verses one through five, and even if you know nothing about the gift of prophecy or the gift of tongues, based on these first five verses, it's pretty clear the intention of one versus the other and which one that Paul says is more important than the other. Especially in a church setting. So look at verses 1 through 5. Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And he brings up tongues because they were asking him, hey, what's the most important spiritual gift? And hey, what about all these people speaking in tongues in the church? And we don't really know how we feel about that. Paul answers their question For one who speaks in tongues does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men or to one another. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. See the difference there? One only does the individual good. The other does everybody good. You can see which one he's saying is more important. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesy. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that as the church may receive edification. So the only gift of tongues that edifies another is when it's in line with Acts, when when God is evangelistically doing a miracle in the ears of the hearer. But I, I want to make sure we know what this gift of unknown tongues is and what it isn't. And again, you might say I don't even want to hear about that. That's fine. I, but I got to teach you what the Bible says. So here's what the gift of tongues. And it's really for your good that you hear this. The gift of tongues is a prayer language. It's meant for private devotion. Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 makes it very clear. Now, you may disagree with me. You may not even want to talk about this. I don't know. The gift of tongues is not meant for public display some people will completely argue against me on that and that's fine I'm just telling you what the Bible says the gift of tongues is meant for private devotion it's a prayer language not for some of us now for some of us we just write it off entirely because we don't understand it. it sounds weird literally but hey if we don't have the gift what's it matter to us but that's not the right attitude to have. Uh, we can have this gift. All these gifts can be received by any, any of us. This, but it's meant to build yourself up in prayer to help you intercede and pray for others. But it's a private exercise nonetheless. He, he says that one who speaks in tongues, no one understands them because nobody's supposed to be hearing them. Romans 8 says it's a spiritual language. It's a prayer language. Now, let me just say this definitively, and, and maybe you, um, uh, you might, again, you might have a different opinion. I can say this definitively. If someone brags about having the gift of tongues, and they say to you that if you really are spirit-filled, you are going to speak in tongues, they've missed the point entirely, and that's completely False. The Bible does not say that if you are filled with the Spirit of God, you will speak in tongues. And if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Spirit of God. The Bible says if you are saved, you have God's Spirit. And the Bible says that there is a gift of tongues, but not everyone receives it. Most won't receive it. And Paul says in this chapter, the most important gift is the gift of prophecy. It doesn't even matter about regarding the gift of tongues. If you have it, good. Pray for people. Intercede for people. Have a a, a super powerful gift individual prayer life but ultimately that's not the end-all be-all honestly it's the gracious work of God within someone the gift of tongues really is about us reaching our limit and the spirit of God praying through us the spirit of God giving us words that we don't have in and of ourselves so really it's the sign of our own weakness not of our own strength and of course all of us are weak without God Anyone who says if you really have the Spirit, you'll speak in tongues has completely missed the mark. They're usually the ones that say they've got to hear it and witness it, which again, goes against this text. Now, verse four is really the key. I want to read it again. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies, he who speaks the word in a personal, intentional way, he who or she who allows God to give them a a prophetic voice, They edify the church. They build up the church. Now, if you've been tuned out for a little bit, come back to earth. Verse 4 is the heart of Paul's message and Paul's vision. This is what Paul wants to be really the heartbeat of the church community. Now, let me be very transparent. I've never been in a church service where someone, whether truly gifted or allegedly, Spoken tongues. Never been there. I've grown up in a, I grew up in an independent Baptist church where I think some people believed in it but didn't do it because they didn't think it was to be done in church. I've been in churches for the last whatever years of my life, Never seen this gift exercise, so you might say that disqualifies me from talking about it. That's fine. But as I teach the Bible, I just want to be transparent with you. Some of you may have experienced it. Perhaps that's why you have the opinion you have for or against. Some of you, like me, probably have only ever heard stories about what it's like uh, or talked to others that have witnessed it. Maybe the whole thing just confuses you and you wonder, what's the point? Maybe someone stood up in a pulpit like this one and said, hey, we're Baptists, we don't believe in it. End of story. And if that's the story you heard, that's unfortunate because the Bible has a lot to say about it. Um, Listen, there are a hundred other chapters I would rather preach than this one because I'm better at preaching those chapters, right? I love God's Word, so I can't skip a chapter just because it doesn't really fit in with the way I see things and the way I'm comfortable with doing things. And I'm called to teach y'all the whole word, so I can't just skip a chapter if it doesn't really fit in with the way I've done things. So just want y'all to know that. But I really think the reason why Paul is talking about these two gifts is because Paul sees the, the, the tension between these two gifts. He really sees an opportunity to speak about what his heart is for the church and what his desire is that the church focus on. Now, we're going to lead into, uh, we're going to look at verses 6 through 12. I want you to follow along with me. And here's what we're going to see Paul launch into. He's going to take us on a behind-the-scenes tour of what goes into producing an edifying, uplifting, inspiring church service. And he uses these two gifts to say, here's one extreme that you should go after. Here's another extreme that you shouldn't go after. But he's using these two gifts as kind of a backdoor approach to speak on what Really goes into an edifying, uplifting, inspiring church service. Does that make sense? He's using these two hot button topics to speak about what should really be, what the church service should really be all about. And he's using prophecy as, as a point to say, hey, this is what you should be after. Not so much this over here. So follow along with me, verses 6 through 12. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you by reason, by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, by teaching? He's saying, hey, the only profit is if I speak in your language and, and share something that's going to uplift you. Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they're distinct, uh, distinct in their sound, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand or, eat, or you know, the same language that people are, are in the house that, that they speak, uh, unless you speak a language easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. In verse 12, again, he reiterates his his thesis here. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. How many times has he said it now? What are you to focus on? What edifies the church? Speaking God's word to uplift and encourage people who don't know God's word and doing it in a way they can understand you. Now, there's a, there's a really powerful metaphorical message going on here. Again, he's really talking about not just tongues and prophecy. He's talking about how the church conducts itself. And what he gives us in this text is a baseline for how the church should conduct itself. The argument isn't prophecy versus tongues. It's really about how the church should make every decision. So let me back up a little bit, and we're going to spend the rest of our time talking uh, about this subject. And this is the question that Paul's asking the people at Corinth. Are Are we going for the sensational or the practical? There's two ways to conduct a church service. Are we all about the outward presentation or are we about making an inner transformation in everybody's life? Are we just here to put on a show? Are we just here to appeal to people's senses and emotions or are we here to make a difference in people's lives? Surely, if you go to a service where everybody's doing all these spectacular things, whether it's tongues or some other thing, hey, people are going to ooh and on, ah and think, wow, that's incredible. But what good's it going to do? Paul says none. And you may, you may say, well, can it be both and? Not, according to Paul, you're on one or the other. And he's wanting this to drive and determine all that we do and influence our decision. Are we actually benefiting people when they show up or are we just kind of putting on a show and they're walking out saying, I'll be back next week? It was true, then it's true now. A lot of churches chase after emotional and feelings-based experiences. A lot of churches do. These feeling-based experiences come in all shapes and sizes, styles, and traditions, but they lack substance. Listen, listen here. I'm not taking a shot at any kind of church, any particular style of church, any particular tradition of church. I'm an equal opportunity offender when I speak on this subject. Now, people, they might, I may not be liked by a lot of people after this, that's fine, I'm not liked by a lot of people anyway. But, but you all love me, that's all that matters. Paul is saying that these emotional-based experiences come in all shapes and sizes, all styles and traditions. There are churches that are all about the style and tradition, feeling something particular, appealing to a certain sensation. For instance, for instance, there are people that say, hey, the way they did it back in the 1600s, the way they did it back in the 1700s, the Lutherans and the Presbyterians, they figured it out then, the Catholics, the way they did it back in the medieval days, we need to do it exactly the way they did it back then because it there, there's no better way to do it, and that's the only way that checks that box. Now, there are people that say, hey, well, the 1800s, the, 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 1800s, the 1900s, the Methodists, and the, the old-fashioned Baptists, they perfected it, so we should do it the way they did it because that's the way that really makes you feel good, and that's the way that, that really gets the job done. When people say old-fashioned, they're really just talking about 100 years ago, right? And That's kind of ironic because there's a whole lot older than that. My point is, feeling-based experiences are not, the, are not only the super contemporary light and smoke shows with big bands and, and loud services. Uh, uh, my, uh, feeling-based experiences, what they, people can, they can be singing hymns, they can be singing rock and roll, uh, they, they can be people dressed like they came off the Mayflower, or, or somebody com- completely and super contemporary. My point is in so many churches it's all about the presentation. There's little substance being planted and transformation actually taking place and that's what Paul was concerned about 2,000 years ago. Think about that. 2,000 years ago he was, when the church was just a couple decades old. He's saying y'all I'm a little bit worried. Y'all are a little bit too much on the sensational and a little bit too much on the feelings and a little bit too much on the show and you aren't thinking about what's actually happening in people's hearts. That's a, that's a concern. You, you see what happens when it's all about the presentation, when it's all about the style or the substance, when it's all about, people say, what kind of church are you? I, I don't know if I really want to answer that question. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a Bible-based church, but, but what kind of songs are you singing? What, what style are you? I don't really, if, if that's what you're looking for, I'm not, you got to, to really answer your questions because you're not going to like the way I answer those questions. Not because I'm on the other end of you when it comes to style or tradition. It's because that's not the questions you should be asking. Do y'all hear me on that? And I know know this kind of breaks our brain about how we've been taught to talk about church. But that's because for 2,000 years, a lot of people have gotten it wrong. And I'm not saying that God's not saved people and done a lot of good things. I'm just saying we get lost in the weeds and, and we lose the plot. I think you would agree with me on that. Here's what happens when it's all about the feeling and all about the experience. These experiences anchor our hopes in a feeling and a location. Here's what I mean. Well, I really only feel close to God when I'm in that kind of service. Well, you know, hey, when we sing those songs, man, I feel close. And we've confused that with the Spirit of God. Don't, I'm not saying that you can't feel the Spirit of God. I'm not saying that God's Spirit doesn't work through things. What I'm saying is we confuse the Spirit of God with a certain style and tradition. Well, I really only feel God when the lights are bright and when the band's really hitting it. Or I'm really, I really only feel God when the choir is singing. I really only feel God when the preacher's wearing a suit. Or I really only feel God when he looks like me. That's kind of, you think God's that small? Do you think God is that tiny? You see what I'm doing? We, we, we confine God to a feeling, into a location, into a day of the week. What's that sound like? It sounds like religion, doesn't it? Remember this woman at the well? Jesus says, hey, you know, let's, talk about, let's talk about religion. She says, whoa, whoa, y'all worship in a temple. We worship on, on a mountain, and, and we're just different. And Jesus said, whoa, 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 Listen. It's not about where you worship. It's not about what you sing and how you look. It's about what God's doing in your heart. You see what I mean? I'm not saying you can have your preference, you can have your style, you can have your idea. That's fine. But don't put that stuff in front of what God's trying to do. Because if you put, if you anchor your faith in those things, your faith cannot stand on its own. And it's very environmental-based. It's very conditional. Right? Right? Services that are feelings-based and sensation-obsessed, they may excite or impress, but they don't transform. Let me just say this as nicely as I can. God does not care about the dress code or the style of the service or how the preacher preaches. He just wants to edify people He just wants to edify people and leave us with more of Jesus in our hearts. That's what God cares about. If it's biblical-based and it gets people's hearts to change, hey, that's what he's about, right? Yeah, there's standards. And yes, there's things that we do and things that we don't do, but we understand what's motivating us, don't we? So Paul talks about tongues and he really is doing that as a backdoor approach to a larger conversation. Are we trying to impress people or are we, try, are we trying to make them feel good? Are we trying to make them nostalgic or make them you know, super contemporary-minded? Or are we actually trying to make disciples and fill hearts with a substance that's bigger than the moment, leading them on mission on the mission God has for their life? This can be done in any setting, but sometimes the way things are being done in the hills the church is willing to die on suggests where, the prior, where our priorities are. He he talks about speaking in a language that people can understand. I think that's bigger than than the tongues thing. I I think he's saying, hey, make sure as you're communicating and presenting Jesus, people understand you. Not, oh, don't use big words. Not, but he's saying, speak in a language that people can hear. Be real. You see what I'm saying? Be real, be authentic, Listen, as a pastor, as a worship leader, as a Sunday school teacher, as anybody in, the, in a part of the service, the question we ask ourselves, are we clearly communicating, effectively, authentically communicating the glorious worth of Jesus and the gracious power of Jesus? That's my two, that's my two boxes I have to check every Sunday. Are we communicating the glorious worth of Jesus when we sing our songs? I want people I don't want people to be impressed by the song. I want you to hear the words and think, "Wow, Jesus is glorious. He is worthy of my praise." As I preach the word of God, I want I don't want you to think, "Man, he's pretty smart or he knows what he's talking about or he really speaks my I want you to think, "Wow, the the power of Jesus is so amazing. It's something I can experience personally." Songs are not, about, are, not, are not meant to make us feel good. They're meant to magnify God's glory. Sermons are, are not about leaving us speechless. They're about feeding us and strengthening us with God's grace. You now, listen, you might think, well, I don't know if that's really what Paul was trying to do in this chapter. I, as I read this chapter, this is what God kept speaking to me about. When he says speak in a language they can understand, I think that's what he's talking about. The church must speak in a language its generation can understand. We're not talking to people that came before us. We're not talking to people that aren't here yet. We're talking to people that are in our midst. We need to be able to see how glorious God is in the moment, and we need to be fed for whatever we're facing in this moment. Again, verse 12, he says, as you are zealous for spiritual gifts, chase after what edifies the church. If you want the church to excel, if you want the church to prosper, this is what you should be all about. What is gonna edify people? Not what makes me look good or what makes me feel good. What." edifies God's people and feeds God's people and strengthens God's people. Now, for time purposes, I want—I don't want to avoid it. I want to, I want to give you something to look at verse 13 through 19, and we're going to move on and close. Verses 13 and 19, Paul addresses tongues again, and he makes it very clear that tongues is supposed to be something practiced privately and in personal prayer life because in verse 19, he says, yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with understanding that than I may teach others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So he's trying to say to the Corinthians, I know y'all want to impress people with your gift. I know you want everyone to look at you and say, wow, they are truly spirit-filled. But this isn't just about tongues. There are people who get on stage and all they want to do is for you to hear them, right? Whether they could speak your language and, and they're not doing any good, right? There are people who walk in church every Sunday and they're not, here for your, they're not here to bless somebody else. They're here to say, hey, look at me. That's what Paul's talking about. And to get the gift of tongues is sort of like, the, is sort of the hyperized version of that mentality, that fair aesthetical mentality. Is it real? Yes. What's it for? Personal, private prayers. If you have it, great If you want it, pursue it. God might give it to you. If you want to know more about it, we'll talk more about it. But as for this message, we're going to move on and close with verses 20 through 26. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, be in understanding, in understanding be mature. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet for all that, they will not hear me says the Lord. Therefore tongues are a sign not for those who believe but to unbelievers but prophesying is not for unbelievers but for those who believe. Therefore if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Now we understand that, don't we? You walk in somewhere and this is going on. When he says it's a sign, it's a sign to them. I need to get the heck out of here. Right? Right? Because it's just, hey, is this church? I mean, that's, that's not really an open door policy. This is some sort of weird insider cult I'm leaving. I'm not saying it's not of God, but it's just not of God in that environment. So Paul gets to the point in verse 24. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he's convicted by all, he's convinced by all, convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. So here, back to, the, back to what we were talking about, and we're gonna wrap up. The goal of every church service, somebody else might disagree, but I got the microphone for the next two, three minutes, so I wanna tell you what I believe the goal of every church service is. Every activity the church in, endeavors in is to bring people to know Jesus, to the knowledge of Jesus, edify everyone from infants in faith to seasoned believers. We don't want our activity to be assigned to those who visit. Well, hey, I'm in the wrong place. So here's a couple of things we need to, we need to be aware, aware of. We can't be stuck in time and place. We can't be so inside baseball as in, hey, nobody knows what we're talking about but us. We can't be more about maintaining tradition than we are about making disciples. We want to be Clear and effective in our communication. Clear and effective in our communication. All about building up the body and edifying every potential believer from the sermons we preach to the songs that we sing. Paul says if we pattern everything we do after the gift of prophecy, we will be intentional with everything we do in a service and position the right people in the right place to be used by God from songs, to, from prayers to sermons. It's, it's all about... Mastering our prophetic voice. And and here's my plea to all of you. Every one of you can be used by God as a part of the church service to help that one person that might not know God have confidence they can find him here. You know how you can master your prophetic voice? When people sing, you sing. When they sing, you sing out with them. You sing out because you're singing out from what God has done in your life. When the, when the message is being preached, when the word is being preached, you listen intently. You ask God for, to speak to your heart because someone next to you, God might through his spirit say, hey, look at them. They're here for real. They're, they mean business. That person over there, they're worshiping God. When the altar call is, is open, it's not just about who, who needs to go. I need to go, right? Our prophetic voice is, hey, I want to speak out with my life what God has done, and what God is doing. How do we convince people that God is with us? How do we convince people that God is among us? We all sing out and speak out from our hearts that know and reflect God's work in our lives. That's how we convince people. I'll say this in closing. People are not one to Jesus because people impress them. They are one to Jesus because people convince them. You see the difference? Politicians want to impress you. We're not politicians, right? Nobody, you might win someone's vote by impressing them, but you're not gonna win somebody's soul by impressing them. You win somebody's soul by convincing them that the Jesus you talk about, the Jesus you sing about, you know him. It's clear. Isn't that what they said in Acts? After they saw Peter and John on trial, they perceived they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. They recognized that they had been with Jesus because of the life that they lived and the praise that they ushered forth, the message that they preached. It was all over them. They didn't just impress them. They convinced them Church, it all comes down to you and I having an authentic and genuine testimony. That's what it means to have a prophetic voice. Every one of you has a testimony to give. Every single one of you has a story to tell. What has God done in your life? Not, well, I went somewhere that made me feel good and I just got, a, got on the train and rode a little while. No, you are a part of something. God is doing something in your life. And church is about building us up and equipping us with that prophetic voice, that testimony. That's really what prophecy is. It's, hey, I'm testifying what God has done and what God can't do. And that's really at the heart of what a church service is all about. And you all play a role. I've said this before. We're all worship leaders. You're a worship leader from where you are. In your Sunday school classes, in the pre in the pre-service, in the post-service, you are all a worship leader because you are making an example to somebody. Every one of us has a story to tell, a song to sing, a voice to speak out with. Church, I know this is a little bit of an all-over-the-place kind of sermon, but it was the best way I thought we could navigate this chapter. I pray that you would allow God to speak to your heart about what we talked about tonight. As we kind of peeled the curtain back, this is what a church service should be like. This is what church members should be like. Listen, all of us are gifted in different ways, but we're not about elevating one person over another. We're about getting all of us to stand up and and speak out of what God has done trying us off of those things that we often cling to that are really not, uh, that, are, that are more sensation, more spectacle and getting us to be rooted and grounded in our faith so that people might would be convinced that Jesus they sing about, that Jesus they preach about, they know him. He's real. And I'd love to know him too. Thank y'all for coming tonight. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for, Lord, in a challenging text, in a text that maybe speaks to a different generation, Lord, thank you for bringing to us, bringing to our mind and bringing to our eyes what I think is a relevant message uh, to our generation. Lord, help us to understand what it means to, to, to speak clearly and to speak authentically, to speak genuinely. Help us, Lord, not just to go through the motions and, and not just uh, uh, you know, play the part and, and read the part, but help us to be effective in our testimonies and, and help us to come to church knowing that we all play a role, uh, that our voice matters, our song matters, our prayers matter, our participation in the ch- service matters because we are all part of the body of Christ and we are all helping point people to Jesus. Lord, thank you so much for bringing us all to you and help us to bring more to you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.